Welcome to the panel discussion, Balancing the Need for Cybersecurity with the Desire for Innovation, sponsored by Lidos. Here is today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show today. I'm excited for our conversation, cybersecurity and innovation. My guests are Angie Heisey, the Civil Group President for Lidos, Renee Wynn, the Chief Information Officer at NASA, and Captain Michael Dickey, the Commander of the U.S. Coast Guard's C4IT Service Center. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Before we get started today, let me set some context for our discussion. Before the Obama administration left office in December, it left a series of reports for the incoming Trump administration around IT. The Commission on Enhancing National Cybersecurity addressed this growing need to balance innovation in cybersecurity. The report stated, and I quote here, our commitment to cybersecurity must match our commitment to innovation. If our digital economy is to thrive, it must be secure. That means every enterprise in our society, large and small companies, Government at all levels, educational institutions and individuals must be purposefully and effectively engaged in addressing cyber risks. The Commission made several recommendations, including one that focuses on how regulatory agencies could harmonize existing and future regulations with the cybersecurity framework to focus on risk management, reducing industry's cost of complying with the perspective of conflicting regulations that may not aid in cybersecurity and may unintentionally discourage rather than incentivize innovation. The Trump administration has picked up on many of these same themes, has created the, American, the Office of American Innovation to improve federal agency services. The Cybersecurity Executive Order focuses on risk management, IT modernization, and improving the way agencies secure their missions. For many agencies and organizations, this intersection of cybersecurity and innovation is really all about risk. I did an interview uh, several months ago with uh, the HHS CIO Beth Kaloran, and she told me her role, like many CIOs and other federal technology executives, is to be a risk mitigator. CIOs can set the vision, bring the right technology to their organization, and that will let innovation flourish. This means modern, usually cloud-based infrastructure that can securely support these innovations. But we know, it's not, we, we know it's also not about the CIO. Agencies need a cross-functional team that includes mission area, finance, HR, acquisition, and many others to make risk-based decisions for how to push their mission areas forward. So with that context in place, let's again turn to our panel. Once again, my guests are Angie Heisey, the Civil Group President for Lidos, Renee Wynn, the CIO at NASA, and Captain Michael Dickey, the Commander of the U.S. Coast Guard's C4IT Service Center. So let me start with uh, Renee Wynn from NASA. Renee, we talk about innovation, we talk about cybersecurity, and in many ways there's this relationship that's happening between the mission area enterprise IT. Talk a little bit about that relationship and, and how this all fits together, because the mission wants to go, go, go. You don't want to be the CIO, no, right? Give me, give me a sense of, of how you're making that balance. Jason, thanks for asking this question, especially for NASA. Uh, I think somewhere in our letters should be an I, um, because we create technology and we advance science and the, the fields of the STEM fields, right? The science, technology, engineering, mathematics. I'd also look at arts and design as that, because we have a lot of robotic interfaces that we need to be thinking about. So innovation is part of what we do, and it is my goal, I'll, I'll start with this and say, my goal is to leave NASA and have cybersecurity and safety be everyone's business when I leave there. So I don't like to look at separation between the two of them, but I like to look at it as education uh, and say that, well, while you're doing something, could we do it in a way that is both protective as well as advancing whatever we're trying to create in order to either get to Mars or create that next satellite um, or make the next advancement in sustainability um, and safety associated with uh, aviation. And so there's a delicate balance. And I like to say with yes, and what does yes actually mean instead of using the word no and then we begin our negotiations from that. So it's a strong partnership. If you don't have it, then what you get is you get bolted on cybersecurity, and in our instance, bolted on to satellites doesn't make them go very well. You bring up an interesting point because you want to start with yes, and then what does yes mean? Do, do the mission side of this, because you know enterprise IT, if you talk about shared services, I know NASA is going deep into shared services, that's maybe easier to kind of get your head around, but for the mission side, that's the difficult one. Mm -hmm. Do they understand the yes, but, or the yes, and what does it mean? I shouldn't say but. <laughs> the answer is we're getting there. Yeah. and and. There have been a few crises that create that, and, and any CIO or any leader loves to have a good crisis. You don't like it while you're in the middle of it, but you realize that there's some really good learning and some advancements that you can make maybe at a quicker cadence uh, when one of these things happen. And not by saying, I told you so, but by saying, hey, we're still stand ready to support you in, in that instance. And so I'll go to the mission side. The mission work rides on my network. And I have to know where those intersections are in order to know where one of us might hurt each other. 
so there's that that risk mitigation that goes with it. The second part is is space, outer space, as a an entity in and of itself is changing, and that dynamic is changing. The capabilities that we are seeing, elementary schools being able to put together CubeSats and send them off for their own curiosity and meet those demands, is adding more in space. And so it's got this awesome side to it. It's very inspiring. But there's a dark side to this, and it's adding more entities in space. Uh, and how do we manage that from a debris management perspective as well as a cyber capability? And so we've got a lovely dance and partnership going. A few crises have, have made our marriage of sort stronger, um, but we're definitely in the learning stage, but directionally I think our partnership, or the partnership with my programs in cybersecurity, I think is really growing by leaps and bounds, and I'm very grateful for that one. Um, and unfortunately, it's built on a few crises. Well, all crises, uh, there's always good that can come from it. And let's talk about the Coast Guard. <laughs> Not that you've had many crises, but, but uh, Captain Dick, you bring a different perspective. You're the, as you were telling me, the operational arm for the CIO. You have to get the work done. So how are you also about striking that balance? Thanks, Jason. Uh, it, we're somewhat unique in, in the Coast Guard in that our workforce in the, our C4IT organization, both in the CIO's office and in the C4IT Service Center, uh, a large number of us wear a uniform and we have a background in Coast Guard operations. So we have a very strong culture that uh, the reason that we exist in, in the IT workforce is to enable operations. And that, that's threaded through our culture. Sometimes it takes some educating, but many of us have spent many years of our Coast Guard career in operations. So we, we absolutely understand that, uh, that C4IT capability is, is, exists for uh, executing Coast Guard operations. Uh, recently I heard from a commanding officer of one of our ships who told me that uh, without our C4IT and ISR systems, there's no point getting underway. That's, that is a very different perspective than our, our Cutter COs had, I would say, even five years ago. So that some of that comes with uh, more capability. A lot of it is just better understanding of the capability that we provide. And I think that's the biggest thing is educating the Coast Guard. So how did we get there? That, that came about through crisis. <laughs> so the cybersecurity sprint that, that was supposed to take uh, 30 days, I think, that has ended up taking multiple years and, and we're going to be doing it forever. That really focused the, the entire Coast Guard on cybersecurity and the critical nature of our C4IT capabilities. And so we're, we're still going through organizational culture change, but uh, I think we have a, uh, a renewed focus on the importance of C4IT capabilities and cybersecurity of those capabilities to enable Coast Guard operations. It's fascinating that just five years ago you're seeing that difference because IT, if you think about it, is not necessarily new, right? Not new at all. I, I mean, Coast Guard's had it probably since the 70s, if not before, but, but IT is ubiquitous. That's part of our lives. It really runs our lives. It's probably been a solid decade or more. You know, I think the iPhone, they said, is now 10 years old. That, maybe that's the demarcation point of technology ruling our lives. Why do you think that culture change has happened? I mean, is it just younger people, we'll blame, we'll blame ageism? Part of it's younger people. Um, part, part of it is that, that IT has truly become critical to, to operations. So when I uh, left the Coast Guard Academy uh, a few decades ago and went to my first ship, uh, we did have computers and, and email, but we could have done without them. We had typewriters as well. We you know, typed and, and, and sent mail. Now the Coast Guard cannot operate with, without IT. And that, I would say, almost happened to us. That was not done intentionally. And we're now sitting back and realizing that that network that, that we said for years was an administrative network is no longer an administrative network. And we, we can't treat it as an afterthought that's administrative only. It is truly mission critical and all of our mission critical capabilities right on that network. So very much a, a renewed focus on, on the criticality of, uh, of C4IT and cyber, I think is, has just happened over the years as we've become uh, more and more aware of how critical it is. Let me turn to Angie from Lightus. React a little bit to what you're hearing from, from uh, Captain Dickey and Renee, but also what are you hearing from your clients as well? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things. I, I can't um, 
stress more what Captain Dickey said, right? IT has just become so integral in the way all of our customers do business. It's also integral of how they run all their missions and how they meet their missions. And so from our perspective, you know, one of the things that um, I think is unique that certainly that we do or that on programs that we've run that I love to see is when the enterprise IT team really understands that mission, really, really gets what the purpose is there for, um, it has them operate differently. It has them um, understand sense of urgency. I used to do um, run the IT for the Army Corps of Engineers, and there was a great example where we would outbrief our service desk every morning on operationally what's going on in the Army Corps. And our help desk engineers would know that when someone called and they were building a massive dam right in the United States, there was an issue, a technical issue, they needed to have service. They automatically knew that that was a high priority item. And it was because they had that uh, mission and operation visibility and understanding. Um, and I think the same is on the mission side, right? They really understand the dependence on enterprise IT and there's a different level of, I'll say, um, respect and interaction that ends up happening because of the fact that it is um, so utility to our entire organization and to all of our customers' organizations. It's interesting you bring up kind of both sides. Usually it's the mission side, the, in the Renee's case, that, that is the, the problem child, if you will, in, in some ways where you want, they, they don't quite understand why the network's so important or, or, well, we can, that's just the IT folks, they run our cell phones. There was a f very famous article several years ago about the CIO just runs cell phones. But Angie, tell me about when, when the two sides, if you will, come together and, and, and understand each other, what is that like? Do you have an example or is there anything that stands out to you? You, meant the, you mentioned the Army Corps is a good one, but. Yeah, so there's, so there's a lot of examples um, where there's a blending, right? So you have people that are working on, I'll give an example actually um, for one of our customers right we have a bunch of software developers working on mission critical software um, happens to be for NASA um, and when they all of a sudden now rely on whether it's spinning up a virtual server right spinning up um, different resources for them to be able to do their job where previously a lot of times that would be something that they physically would do that would be something that their team would be responsible for what I think is great is they can now really focus more of their time and energy on building out additional mission capabilities and relying on the enterprise IT team to provide some of those common services um, that used to not be so common it used to be things that they really you know really loved and everybody's heard the the term um, server hugger right mm -hmm. and that was not that long ago, and I remember moving data centers and consolidating data centers, and people absolutely um, resisted, right, moving their moving their servers. But now, if you can spin up a virtual machine in a matter of you know ninety seconds, they're good with it. Right, Renee, jump in. Yeah, so I wanted to add to something that Angie said in this one, and and it has to do with the server and the the server hugging capability. This is what. Uh, FATAR was intended to do for us. And, and I, as I like to give my speeches, right, FATAR was intended to do, do a couple of things for the federal government. And there's some really great success stories, and you reminded me of this one is, where do you want your talent to be working? I know you can, but do we really want you standing up a server? I, I know you can, right? You're a rocket scientist. Um, and that is, is FATAR was intended for the federal government to take a, a really hard look at itself and look at IT spend, and the risks associated with overspending and maybe even underspending on some things. And then you take a look at the cybersecurity risks. And that is by virtue of having hardware and software and humans all in the same ecosystem, you now have a recipe for a lovely afternoon, usually four o'clock on a Friday. Of, of crisis. Of crisis, <laughs> exactly. And then what you can do is if when you overlay them, you see IT spend has a crossover to cybersecurity risk. And so part of the teachable moments that we have had is with the folks that can and they are very capable of creating the software. In fact, we invented it. NASA was part of the seat at the table to invent the internet, and we have a very rich history of inventors. But one of the things we got, we were capable of doing is talking to them is, yes, I know you can, but the question is, should you? And we are starting to see those breakthroughs with our mission. I'm looking at, there's a RFP, they're on the street or soon to be out of the street, so no trade secrets here on our uh, supersonic flight, low noise, low boom is what it's referred to. And in this, 
the work of the contract and the RFP getting out on the streets, CIO was at the table. And they said, yeah, you got it. You have the things that, it, not the embedded aviation, avionics and all of that, but we've got it. You've got the computers. We understand where were the networks. We've got to understand better where those connection points are. And they have the seat at the table, have those conversations. Now we're spending public money better because the aviators are doing aviation work, the IT people are doing IT work, and where there's overlap, we're doing it together, or it's yours or mine. And so these are great stories about what FATAR has been able to bring to the table. It's funny, as, as Angie was talking about, that's the first thing that came to my mind, too, is, is oh, we're talking FATAR here. Uh, Kevin Dickey, let me turn to you, since you're the service center side of it. Uh, give me a sense of, well, are you seeing that, that mission side and, and IT side coming together where it's this idea that you do what you're good at and we'll do what we're good at and we'll come together? I, I think uh, Mission is becoming more and more aware of their dependence on, on IT and they want us to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and they want us to understand the criticality of, of our IT systems to the mission that they're conducting and we're not always good at that. We miss the mark sometimes. Uh, it just in the last month, uh, month and a half, we've had two instances where operational commanders were absolutely dependent on services that maybe we viewed as you know, admin services, email and mobile email, except that in, in the 7th District in Miami, Florida, an operational commander was absolutely dependent on mobile devices and their email flow to conduct operations over a weekend. And when something went wrong, that was critical to that mission owner. Uh, just recently, when the Coast Guard deployed uh, a number of personnel to uh, support the Navy after the, the Navy ship's collision in, in Japan, the most critical thing for those deployers was making sure that they had a Coast Guard mobile device in their hands and that they could receive email. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't have had those conversations so, several years ago, and I, I think we're becoming much more mature on understanding how critical IT is, is to mission. All right, that's a good stop point to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll, we'll jump into some of the, the harder side of this, which is cybersecurity. You're listening to the panel discussion, Balancing the Need for Cybersecurity with the Desire for Innovation, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. Hello, I'm Angie Heisey, president of the civil group at Lidos. For decades, we've been trusted by government and business to solve complex challenges with the application of IT, engineering, and science. Now our integration with Lockheed Martin ISNGS has made us more capable than ever. We're transforming IT and cybersecurity for the critical missions that our customers carry out every day, all designed for the complexity of our changing world. Hear more at federalnewsradio.com, keyword Lidos. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Balancing the Need for Cybersecurity with the Desire for Innovation, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Angie Heisey, the Civil Group President for Lidos, Renee Wynn, the Chief Information Officer at NASA, and Captain Michael Dickey, the Commander of the U.S. Coast Guard's C4IT Service Center. Now, before break, we were talking about the mission area, the enterprise IT, how they're fitting together, how the communication is, is much better than it's probably been ever before. And then now we're going to bring up the, the one thing that usually stops that communication, unfortunately, still is, is cybersecurity. And, and, and you'd think after the, the breaches and the OPM breaches, the, the Target breach, the JP Morgan Chase breach, and we could, I think, could go on and on and on, that people would get it. And you still, I still believe, according to the, the people I speak with in the federal community and outside, is it's still a, a, the, the long pole in the tent. How do you get people to understand that? that cyber needs to be, as you said, built in from the beginning, not bolted on. So let me turn to Angie to start. When you have that discussion, when, when agencies are coming to you with RFPs and solicitations and customers are coming to you, is that connection being made between why there has to be that cyber piece with the mission piece and they're not one or the other, but it's got to be both? So I would say in general, yes, right? Our customers do understand that it needs to be. How it gets executed is very different um, based on different agencies, different, whether it's a commercial client or a federal client. But they all kind of struggle with the same thing. One is just educating everybody on what needs to happen. So, and I'll give you a few examples, whether it's mission software, right, that's being developed and you have to do secure coding techniques and you have to be in line um, with what requirements are needed out of the enterprise IT um, organization, 
or um, we spend a lot of time working with like operational technology. So it may be industrial control systems, right? Because all these systems now have significant amount of software built in. They need to be patched. They need to be updated. Um, and a lot of times, those those technologies are run by a completely different group. Um, and so being able to educate everyone about what the threats are, what the risks are, and how to best mitigate those um, is something that I think everyone's aware of, how you go about actually doing that education and then applying lessons learned and best practices holistically across the business is where most organizations I think are striving for and at least trying to get to. Um, I've had a recent conversation with a couple clients around like the NIST framework and, and trying to say, look, that is, it's just a framework that doesn't really measure how effective you are. And so being able to have a clear understanding of where your current stance is and understanding your risk posture and then having a roadmap that actually maps to where you want to get to is really important and it's important for all those technologies that we just talked about, not just your email servers and your network. I think in many ways when you talk about the developing mission software, the, those, my, my perception is people get it, right? I mean, when you're talking about, but when you talk about SCADA systems or industrial control systems, I think that's still very new to many people in, in the, the cyber world and, and the, the coming together. Do they, if you will, the, the industrial control folks get that, well, this is connected to this, which is then connected to your network, which then is now uh, part of the attack surface? Or, they do. I will tell you, certainly within the last couple of years, there's been some massive, um, very public um, instances around yeah. industrial control systems. So they are uh, very aware, I think. Um, and I'm seeing both commercial clients and federal clients um, attacking the problems a little bit differently than what they had been in the past. Whereas a lot of times the industrial control systems were very local. Um, they are looking at it a little bit more at an enterprise level so we can have common standards, maybe even deploy common tool sets um, and common practices across, across the board to ensure that they have a known risk profile for all those systems. Captain Dickey, jump in real quick. When you, when you work with the Coast Guard and say, okay, we have to get that email to that ship, and they say, well, we just, we just need it. Just get me the email. Do you understand why, okay, well, we have to de de delineate the, well, this is classified or unclassified, and then you also work in the environments where where uh, an email, and a simple, something as simple as an email could, could put the ship at risk if they know, if, if someone hacks into the email and says, oh, that ship's going to head in this direction at this time, at this point. Talk a little bit about the, the, where cyber fits in for you guys. So I... Where cyber fits in for the Coast Guard, actually, we'll back up two years when the, the Commandant of the Coast Guard uh, signed the Coast Guard Cyber Strategy. And we, we'd been working for a, a year or so to, to get to that point, but in June of 2015, the Commandant you know, signed the Cyber Strategy. And uh, there, there are three strategic priorities, defending cyberspace, um, enabling operations, and protecting infrastructure. So the, the last part, protecting infrastructure, is, is focused on the maritime critical infrastructure, those, those industrial control systems, SCADA systems in, in the port and, and vessel environment you know, as part of the, the maritime transportation system. And the Coast Guard won't protect those, but, but we will definitely work, our captains of the port work with the, the, uh, the facility operators and vessel operators on their cybersecurity. For the, the first part, defending cyberspace, our cyberspace, that's really focused on mission assurance. And, and so that's how we communicate the, the cybersecurity requirements to mission owners. We, because the reason that, that we are you know, a, a applying you know, cybersecurity controls, that, that we're applying rules, that we're locking things down, is, is not because we enjoy doing it, because it's a lot of work, but the, 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 it's because that the end result of all of that is, is to provide better mission assurance for Coast Guard missions uh, across the whole spectrum of our missions. And I think we've done well, we have, still have work to do in communicating to operators that that, that email that, that you want to receive or that port that you want opened up or that website that you want to visit, you can't because it, it opens up the entire Coast Guard enterprise to, to an unacceptable risk. And, and so it's, it's all about managing risk, and I think we've done a good job of communicating that. Um, we're going to continue to work on that over the, over the upcoming years, though, because it's, 
it, it's still a difficult conversation with, with operators who just want to get the job done. The strategy is always the first step, right? I think, you, Angie, you said that. you got to have a strategy. The implementation of that strategy, would you say it's been, you know, I know you're not at the lead, you're not at the tip of the spear of the implementation, but you see it from a service center perspective. Is it is it going okay? <laughs> no, it's it, not. I, <laughs> big news, right? <laughs> That's right. It, it actually is. Yeah. Uh, Admiral Lunday, uh, who's been in the job of our uh, assistant commandant for C4IT uh, for the last year, has been pushing the Coast Guard Cyber Program, which which really is the uh, the, the ways and means to implement the Coast Guard strategy. And uh, so he's got very good support from Coast Guard leadership. Uh, it, establishing the Coast Guard's role in the maritime transportation system, uh, but also uh, internal to the Coast Guard, organizing for command and control of, of the cyberspace that we maintain and, and developing a, a workforce and generating uh, uh, Coast Guard operating forces in cyberspace. And I know we're going to get into workforce a, a little bit later, but that, that's a huge part of our cyber strategy and we are very focused on it. Renee, you heard uh, risk come up several times. NASA is the risk agency. If, if there's a model, NASA understands it. H how are you communicating that risk side to the mission? Because they understand space risk. You know, launching a rocket into to to space is that's a lot of risk. But cyber risk is something maybe that they're kind of like, well, I don't get that. Yeah, I think they do now. But. Right, right. Too. So thank. Actually, I'm really appreciated to get this question because the way I, I like to do it, and in working with the current acting administrator, um, Robert Lightfoot, we're, we both have the same view that this is all about enterprise risk. So every launch has its risks. There's always that nail-biting moment with each launch, even though we do it quite frequently nowadays, and as does SpaceX and, and others. Um, and every time an airplane takes off and lands, there's a lot of risk associated with those events. But we've gotten, they're so commonplace now that we forget that part. So let's go up to the risk associated with the federal agencies. We've basically, uh, as OMB has laid out for us, there's five swim lanes of risk, and I think they actually help tell the conversation in a, in a common language way. There's operational risk. One squirrel can take out your uninterrupted power supply. Now you have no email, you've got no air conditioning, and you got a lot of grumpy people, right? So, and you took out all your IT as well with it, except your mobile devices that happen to be powered up, as some don't stay that way very well. So you have operational risk. With that, you have programmatic risk. If you're depending upon your software to execute commands and scripts on demand, like in a launch system, right, and if something goes awry, you now aren't, you're not going to have your program launched in order to gather data in space for science, for advancing science. There's strategic risk. I think a number of things we've seen in terms of not capitalizing and managing IT as a strategic resource is some businesses have put themselves out of business and not recognizing the strategic risk associated with capitalizing on what IT can bring to the table. Blockbuster, when was the last time you drove there? Was nailed by Netflix, right? And who anticipated this model? So not having that strategic direction and looking at your strategic assets, IT being one of them, allows to do, um, didn't allow them to, to stay in the game. And then you've got financial risk. So cybersecurity uh, plays in, in financial risk. You get a ransomware. You overpay for your software. Your software is used to attack you and five other people, right, other businesses. Uh, boy, now you're the skunk at the party. Um, and then there's reputational risk. And this is a huge one. Um, I love working at NASA. And we have a shiny meatball, as we call it. And that shiny meatball, you know, anything any mistake that we make can be viewed as reputational risk, but a cyber incident that either we caused or we had is a huge reputational risk. And so cybersecurity plays strongly in reputational risk, financial risk, and certainly in operational risk. And so if we look at it as an enterprise issue, any strong leader will know that you have to capitalize and think of IT as a strategic resource. You gotta make sure you have the people in place, you have the process in place to help you make it go really well, and then you've gotta have the tools to help you do that. And the final thing I'd close on is that cybersecurity needs to be moving from compliance, FISMA-driven, to absolute resilience. It is not if you're gonna have an attack or if you're gonna lose power, any lightning strike will tell you that one, right? It's when you're going to do it and can you recover and how quickly can you recover and are you getting the email to the men and women at arms 
in, in fast enough fashion in order to protect them or protect this nation. Angie, jump in. Yeah, so I think um, Renee's position on risk is a fantastic example of where organizations really need to focus. They need to understand what is acceptable risk for their enterprises. And just in the last year, I've seen more organizations actually have that dialogue and discussion because they recognize that they don't have endless budgets, right, to be able to get to a low risk posture from a cybersecurity. I have done a lot of business with a lot of customers and I haven't seen um, the ability to be able to make that such a significant investment. And so making, making a deliberate and conscious decision of what their risk acceptance is in those different areas and then ensuring that their roadmaps that um, Captain spoke about actually match up to ensure that they get to that risk posture for each of those areas is critically important. Um, and I think it, previously there was um, an acceptance of um, not being able to manage that risk as well as what I think we are able to today and have been able to over the last couple of years. Captain Dickey. The, that's absolutely a focus for the, the Coast Guard as well. In fact, part of the, uh, the Coast Guard cyber program now is, is focused on uh, what Admiral Lunday has, has called uh, appropriately our command control computers, communication, cyber, and intelligence. Mission C5I, C C5I. C5I, thank you. Mission, <laughs> Enterprise Mission Platform. And, and why that's important is, is for the first time ever, we are talking in the Coast Guard of, about our IT infrastructure as a, a strategic asset, and, and it's this enterprise mission platform that all of our missions depend on. It is a strategic resource, and, and we're treating it as such, and we realize that we can't take our risks down to zero. In fact, we probably can't even get to the point where we have a comfortable low risk, but what, what we are working on is, is building the capability to manage that risk, so that we understand what the risk is, and we can make informed risk decisions. A couple times during our conversation, workforce has come up. Let me jump over there for a second. Um, one, one of the challenges is not just around cybersecurity, but can you hire the right cyber people, but also can you get others who are non-quote-unquote cyber people to understand the, 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 the challenges of cyber? Uh, Renee, let me just start with you. How are you guys doing on both those sides of the coin? Yeah. I would break it down into to a couple of buckets in this. And the first one is, is keeping humans aware that this could happen. Um, and it's just what NASA does in terms of safety is having the posters up, having the leadership or the managers or even individuals saying, you know, are we doing the right thing? Are we taking the right precautions to keep our people safe? And in the same instance, we need to do the same thing when we're using our computers. Are we keeping our information and our network safe because those are strategic resources? So you've got to keep the awareness up. But it can't be the same poster because we'll probably all walk by that same pile in our house for two years before we realize it even needs to have anything done to it. So we'll go first for the awareness of the workforce and the contractor workforce that are our strong partners. And then there's staying current, keeping current with our current workforce. And then I would say the third bucket is a very strong partnership with our colleagues in the contractor workforce because we will not do this alone. Bringing the innovation in terms of cybersecurity and resilience uh, with our networks or with anything that we do becomes really critically important. And in that partnership, if we find a weakness maybe within our workforce, then we can augment it by buying it and then you can look at how you want to spend your money. Um, you, got, you also want to really largely hire a curious workforce <laughs> because cyber is not standing still IT is certainly not standing still, and so you don't want a workforce that goes, I love pushing this red button, right? You know, no, 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 we want you to push the red button, the pink button, and maybe even decide that there's an order change in pushing those buttons that you want to do. And so hiring a curious uh, workforce and you doing your part as a supervisor or a leader and, and ensuring that they can apply that curiosity and towards cyber or other areas and then bring that to the workspace. And so I would really break it up to educating and awareness, no matter who walks in your building, us and, and the work, you know, federal employees as well as the contractors. There's the hiring curious individuals because sometimes you can't get the talent, but you can create some of it. Yeah. And then augmenting the talent with the contractor workforce and having a really strong partnership, collaborative partnership is where I would go with that. Well, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, Angie, I'm going to throw it to you around that workforce piece of the playoff, maybe what Renee said. 
But first, we'll take a break. You're listening to the panel discussion, Balancing the Need for Cybersecurity with the Desire for Innovation, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. Hello, I'm Angie Heisey, president of the civil group at Lidos. For decades, we've been trusted by government and business to solve complex challenges with the application of IT, engineering, and science. Now our integration with Lockheed Martin ISNGS has made us more capable than ever. We're transforming IT and cybersecurity for the critical missions that our customers carry out every day, all designed for the complexity of our changing world. Hear more at federalnewsradio.com, keyword Lidos. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, balancing the need for cybersecurity with, with the desire for innovation, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Angie Heisey, the Civil Group President for Lidos, Renee Wynn, the Chief Information Officer at NASA, and Captain Michael Dickey, the Commander of the U.S. Coast Guard's C4IT Service Center. We had just left the last segment of talking about workforce and talking about the need for the balance. And, and Renee, you brought up the contractor side of the equation, and I want to turn to Angie on this to lead us off. Give me a sense when, when you hear about the contractor piece of that of the cybersecurity and workforce and gap filling the needs uh, where there's uh, workforce gaps and skill gaps. Talk a little about the, the role that contractors do play. Yeah, absolutely. So we we take our ability to partner with our customers right um, very seriously and want to make sure that we're aligned not only from what solutions they need, what talent they need, um, and how we can do this. And so a couple of the ways that light us that we do this is we also provide the cybersecurity internally for our corporation. And so we're able to, if you will, eat our own dog food, right? We're able to actually Drink your own champagne. Uh, that's better. That's much better. <laughs> it's a champagne. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so all the solutions and talent, we rotate people through, right? So that they get experience of not only from a corporation perspective, but then they can also move out to our other customers to be able to experience the federal environment or commercial environment. And there's a couple of really great things that I find that happens with that. One, our customers get significant value out of it, right? Because they get people that have um, attack the problem from different perspectives, right? Whether they're working at some sort of financial institution or they're working at the Pentagon or they're working at Lidos headquarters. Um, so they, they build up that curiosity that Renee was talking about and those problem solving skills in a way that directly benefits the mission of all our customers. It also is fantastic for us because it allows us to attract more people because there's not too many companies out there that can actually offer that, right? To offer them the experiences that we can against the diverse set of um, customers that we have. It also is an attractor for those people that don't have technology degrees um, but are interested in getting in cybersecurity. We have a great training program that we send people through. Um, it's a two-week course and we score them on how they do and if they're able to actually pass um, with flying colors and they move on to the next level and what we found is we have lawyers, we have people with social sciences, different um, degrees that really have this thirst for knowledge and finding problems um, that really excel and it gives them a different career option which is great not only for our company but again like for our customers and our partners. Captain Dickey, as Angie was going through what Lidos does with its people, very similar to the rotational assignments we hear within the military and the Coast Guard, talk about the workforce from your perspective to ensure that the cyber, the innovation, all these pieces fit together within the workforce skills. So for the Coast Guard's workforce, uh, we absolutely depend on a, a very broad mix of you know active duty uniform members, our, our civilian workforce, and, and also the contractors who, who support us. And it's, it's, it's critical to us that, uh, that we are able to you know, constantly leverage the, that whole spectrum of that workforce. We, we train our, our active duty members and sometimes we lose them. And so that, when, when that happens, it's, it's really important for us to be able to depend on, on contractor support, you know, our, our partners and our contractors to, you know, Keep keep uh, keep us marching down the, the cybersecurity path with uh, with some of the the skills that they can bring to bear. Our, sometimes our contractor workforce is actually more stable than uh, than our, our active duty or even our, our civilian workforce who 
we, we bring in and, and train and then often they, they move on and, and get other jobs and that's a good thing but that, that tends to be a little bit more dynamic sometimes than, uh, than, than our contractors. Now are you guys having that same set of rotation where people come in and they, they do a tour of duty for a certain number of, of years and they move on and they're bringing that cyber experience with them or that innovation experience? Yes. Um, some, sometimes they're actually leaving the Coast Guard and, and finding jobs elsewhere. That, that's, that's a risk in, uh, in, in taking junior members and, and you know, training them up with some uh, high-end cybersecurity skills, and then they find they can get paid you know, four times as much as they're making elsewhere, and, and they leave, and I don't blame them. Uh, we will keep training people because we, we need that part of our workforce. We also bring in uh, Coast Guard operators who don't have cybersecurity experience in, in uh, not so much in, in my world where we're in C4IT service delivery, we really need the you know, technical IT skills, but in, in Coast Guard Cyber Command, we are bringing in, in uh, you know, operators and, and they absolutely can fit in uh, you know, mission planner roles or areas where with an understanding of, of cyber and, and uh, defensive cyberspace operation, they don't have to understand all the technical aspects of it and, and uh, they're, they're doing a fantastic job there. We talked cybersecurity, we talked mission, we've talked the, the idea of enterprise IT. Let me bring up the last topic here around innovation, and I think that's the key piece to this. You, you need all those pieces to get down that path of innovation. And, and you know, Renee, I keep throwing it to you because it seems like every time we bring this up, innovation, risk, it all fits into the NASA world. Uh, I did an interview just recently that uh, NASA civil servants, and this was amazing, you probably know this, uh, they come up with three to 400 inventions, innovations that result in patents each year. Civil servants, not talking about the rest of it. Uh, so innovation is, again, if you, you need an eye in NASA somewhere and talk a little bit about how you pr promote innovation with cyber, with mission, with enterprise. Uh, thank you, Jason, for that question. Sorry, this a is long. no, but I think one of this is I think the the new factor I'll call it newer the cybersecurity factor with this this innovation and and how does one go forward? It is curious minds and capable individuals experimentation. You know, Edison, how many iterations of the light bulb did he say he made first? Uh, and that is is that it is because of that that we got off the ground in the first place. The Wright brothers. Um, and it's how we got to the moon so many decades ago. I actually believe it was this month uh, in June. And that, and that came from innovation and it came from curiosity and thinking that things are possible. But in this day and age with cybersecurity, and I look at, let's say, tele uh, telemetry data, one zero or one disrupted is, could be a really bad day. And so mission assurance is dependent upon our cybersecurity. So we're trying to find that very delicate balance, and I think it's probably the, you know, the, the hair of a fairy, <laughs> a really small one, that we have to, to thread. And, and that's because you cannot stop innovation and you shouldn't stop innovation because you never know which innovation is the thing that's going to get you to your next level. We don't know which next innovation is going to get us to Mars with humans and back safely, not in a convertible like we saw in Martian. Um, and that is, is so it's how do you manage the chaos associated with innovation. And this is where cloud comes in. This is where, again, our partnerships uh, in federal space from uh, agency to agency as well as our contractors, and that is, is figuring out places where we can go and vent that don't affect or infect our uh, critical infrastructure that we might have. And this is where we're starting to experiment and need to go out and say, okay, go play over there um, with the right credentials because I'm going to feel better that some of our, you know, that the other parts of my infrastructure are protected because they're frankly not even touching on that one. And so this is where we get to be creative and we have to be creative and we got to sit down the, uh, the table as partners and say, okay, yes, you can go play, but please do it in this area. Make it scalable. This is where cloud comes in. It's very handy. And then they can just uh, you know, kind of go nuts and go through this innovation. Because we do have a lot of patents. We have a large number of patent attorneys, and every year we put out a book called Spinoff. Yep. And these are the inventions that have gone back for the benefit of humanity around the entire globe. And we're very proud of that. And so I'm, I'm here to make sure it's managed chaos uh, so that it's not a really bad Friday afternoon for myself yep. and, and my leadership at NASA. Now, Angie, what Renee seems to be talking about here is uh, the sandbox concept, right? Go do this someplace safe. What, what are you seeing from your federal agency clients in terms of this innovation piece? How are they making that balance? Yeah, so um, similar to what Renee said, that 
um, you know, I think I think every customer that I work with, right, um, embraces innovation, which is one, probably one of the reasons why I love my job, right? Um, it's so critical to their mission and um, to the success of their organization. And so being able to find a way to cultivate that culture, to be able to innovate, and innovate whether it be for, through technology or through processes or um, it even, quite honestly, even from an acquisition perspective, right, to be able to um, do it in a way that's simpler, that's faster, that you can get exactly, make sure you get exactly what you want. Um, I think for cybersecurity, innovation is something that um, we have to not only succeed at, but we have to thrive at because all the adversaries out there are continually to change and evolve and innovate in different ways. And I think if we can combine innovation with collaboration and um, pull together in different industries to be able to combat those attackers, I think we will ultimately um, succeed in defending the great organizations that we all support. Kevin Dickey, let me turn to you real quick. Uh, since you're the service center, you're the delivery. Talk about maybe an example or two of innovations that maybe come to your mind that, that maybe the Coast Guard has recently uh, gone th come through with. So I, I can't say that we've come through with anything, but I, I can say that we have a very different perspective on, on innovation, obviously, than NASA does. Um, what, where I want to see innovation uh, is actually being driven by the, the, the need to uh, apply you know, stronger cybersecurity controls. So all of the, all the, the, the threat that we're seeing is driving us towards being more innovative in, I think you, you said acquisitions, Angie. Yeah, we have to think about how we execute our acquisitions and how we acquire services. We have to do that differently. Um, we need to look at how we deliver services. We need things that, that we have traditionally done ourselves and we host in our own data center and we have a lot of you know, stovepipe standalone apps. We can't keep up. And, and so we need to be looking to industry, look, looking to cloud, looking to consolidate those services, and that's being driven by the, the cybersecurity need. We, we, we can't keep up with the requirements right now. So that's the innovation I'm looking for, is how can we change the way we deliver services? But, but let me put a finer point on this, because we, we know we got caught, a little bit caught up in the cyber world, but innovation happens outside of cyber. You have to have the balance. Are you, when, when the mission side comes to you and say, we need this new, thing about the doodles this widget right how do you balance that with the cyber piece but also to give them what they need so again we go back to what I said to Renee Barrera CIO no right we've had a few challenges there and and uh, you know we, we have had you know operators in, in the field going out and, and doing some experimenting and coming up with some great ideas and and uh, they end up getting them in front of you know senior flag officers and you know, we're shaking our heads like oh no I can't believe they saw that <laughs> um, and and we have to address those and we have to tackle them head-on a lot of it's back to communicating with with the, the workforce communicating with our operators making sure that they understand the the risk that, that they are exposing not not only themselves to but because we are all of our systems operate as a a single enterprise that supports the entire coast guard it's not just your stuff that's that's at risk now you, right. you know, and when you go do those things you're putting the entire coast guard at risk and, and that's such key that it's not just your thing that is at risk i see both renee and angie are <laughs> nodding their heads here uh and, and i think you know that's actually a great point to segue to talk about the the this conversation more broadly we're almost out of time and it's been a very enjoyable conversation i know we started with renee we're going to start with you again on the, on the back end of the, these questions when you talk about mission, you talk about enterprise and, and the collaboration that's happening, and then you throw in cyber to the top of it, and then you throw innovation kind of ways overall there. How does it all work together? What should people keep in mind as they move forward? What, what are some things that's working for NASA that maybe you would share as a best practice? Share with as a best practice, well, wow, or, yeah. Or even like, what, what do you think people should take away from our conversation? So I would, I would, I would do this, right, is, is nothing is ever about control. It is always about inspiring and managing and leading and allowing curiosity and doing what you can to put those in the right places. Uh, and, and so as long as you allow folks to do things and be who they are in a managed way, then great things will happen for your mission and great things will happen for your organization and that. And there's no science to it. There's no there's no recipe book, you know, five five, you know, newt eyes and, you know, one long witch hair and then it all works out for you. It's it's really very much an art 
and and a bottom line, it all rests on really good collaboration and really good communication skills. I really like the curiosity, hire curious individuals. I mean, so Captain Dickey, talk a little bit about how the where the Coast Guard is heading and, and how how to bring all these different aspects together. So we bring it all together, I think, through our, our cyber program, our execution of the cyber strategy. And part of that is, is training. And a big part of the, the training, you know, focusing on, on the operational Coast Guard, because that, that's why we're here. That, that's why we worry about cybersecurity in, in the first place. Uh, we, we have to make it clear to our operators that cybersecurity is commander's business. So the, the, the commanding officer of, of a ship has to worry about the cybersecurity of, of the systems that, that he or she depends on. And we're, we're making inroads there. Now, you know, b before a ship deploys, we're, we're talking about the cybersecurity of those systems and is everything patched and up to date before we deploy that ship and, and uh, potentially put them in harm's way. So culture, changing the culture and changing the way we think about our, our IT systems and, and cybersecurity. And Angie, you get the last word of the day. Great. So. You know, my organization really focuses on making sure that we help our customers be more secure and more efficient. And whether it's through enterprise AT or allowing them to get more mission capability um, or ensuring that everything that they do is in the most secure way to fit their risk posture, um, we feel we bring the best people. And I think Renee said it, right, being sure that you have a team that is motivated and curious and um, problem solvers to ensure that those missions are met every single day is absolutely what I think why we all come to work. Great points. This has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. You've been listening to the panel discussion, balancing the need for cybersecurity with the desire for innovation, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. I'm your, been your moderator, Jason Miller. I'd like to thank my guests for today. Angie Heisey, the Civil Group President for Lidos, Renee Wynn, the Chief Information Officer at NASA, and Captain Michael Dickey, the Commander of the U.S. Coast Guard C4IT Service Center. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Lidos. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion Balancing the Need for Cybersecurity with the Desire for Innovation, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Lidos.